Okay, welcome to the Red Chair. Today we have Ari yes. with us. Great to see you. Good We've to see you. In, you know, in touch for many years. Yeah. Uh, good that you're in back in Lisbon. Tell us. Yeah. Tell us a little about your, your story first. My story. Uh, my story is that I got into entrepreneurship and tech uh, literally when I was still in high school. Uh, I've spent really the first part of my career, maybe 15 years, uh, as an operator and a founder. When I was in college, I became a self-taught Linux admin. Uh, I interned. Which year was this? This. Uh, now you're gonna out me, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I this was so this was like '92. '92. Yeah, uh, I started working at a startup d- during the summers as an intern and just fell in love with it and like never went home. I just stayed in Colorado. So there were startups in '92. Yeah, there were. <laughs> After I graduated from school, I moved back to the Bay Area and uh, was working for a publicly traded company there. And then 18 months later, quit my job. And along with my boss, the pro- head of product, we started a file sharing service called Just Darn. And that was during the dot-com era. And, and how did that go? We went from concept to 5 million monthly unique visitors in six or seven months. And uh, it was all about visitors and eyeballs. Eyeballs, time. retention. We really, we built like a microservices platform and a cloud platform in, in 99. And our whole concept was to deliver small modular apps that could sit on other websites and portals that would create more stickiness. And we were gonna charge using a utility model. So it was a very evolved strategy. We were a little bit ahead of your time maybe. Too early. <laughs> yeah, the infrastructure cost and the complexity was really high, but we had all the right ideas like uh, a billing and, util- and utilization module, security and login module, and we were going to just layer apps over the top. And we said, okay, well, what's the biggest problem right now? Well, moving files. Like, if you didn't know how to do command line FTP, forget it, right? <laughs> I think Fetch was just coming out, the, the first like Mac like FTP client. So we replicated the Windows File Explorer in the, in, in the browser. So it was immediately familiar on how to use it, and it took off. Uh, we had a one-click publishing feature. You could put any file on the internet. So, right, and uh, this is '99, right? The, the height of the dot com. And in '99, and, and I, we were five in, in the Bay in the Bay Area. Right? That's right, and and we were a five person team, uh, and I ran all the infrastructure and operations. So I basically lived in the data center. I had no formal training on how to build web infrastructure. It was all brand new, and I just had to figure it out by brute force. I, like a lot of sleepless nights, I remember going to bed at night and just seeing like a pat the Apache config file in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> just running through. yeah exactly um i have nightmares about hgb conf um and when ultimately novell got involved and we sold the company to novell sort of at the height of the craziness amazing and i started you know with a half a rack right and we sold the company and it was like i had a huge cage in the data center and terabytes of storage and then we spun out a cdn another company called valera uh, we had, you know, sorted out some really advanced caching technology that was based on a reverse proxy. I'll spare you the long story, but basically we were in the middle of deploying it all over the world. I was traveling everywhere. Uh, it was amazing tech. It was faster than what Inc. to me, Cashflow and Akamai had. And then the dot-com crash happened. This was like 2001. 2002. 2002. 2001, 2002. Pulled the plug. Uh, I couldn't really stomach. But you had already sold the first company. Yeah. So that was good. That was good. So, you know, a, a taste of early success and an amazing experience. Uh, and ultimately that led my wife, my now wife and I to decide to move to Colorado. Okay. And uh, I worked at a company in the enter- enterprise storage management 
space for a while called Creek Path, and then uh, eventually got the idea for Filterbox, which was in the first Techstars class uh, ever, and that became a real. That was what 2007. 07. Yeah. 07. Yeah. You were the, one of the first. Well, the first batch. I, I was in the first batch. There Who was, selected you at the time? David Cohen. David Cohen. Cohen was my MD, and I. So I. There's a there's a funny side story I won't spend too much time on, but I was actually the interim CEO. I was running a little consulting business. It was like a one-person tech tech stars. I was doing angel investing, operational consulting, and helping people with technology. And I ended up randomly as the interim CEO for a company that David was an angel investor in. And we decided to sell the technology to the to the largest customer and not to rebuild it and fund it. Uh, and he's like, well, "What are you going to do next?" And so I just pitched him this idea that I had been working on about solving the signal to noise problem of the internet. And I had been digging into RSS feeds and using NewsGator. And I was like, I can't believe this is the only way to extract information from the internet. Search engines were great for you know mainstream content and right. commerce, but not for signals intelligence. So pitch him this idea of crazy things that David also had a very similar idea. He'd actually written like a two-page exact summary, and had it in a in a, like in a file folder. And it was the most surreal experience. He goes, I think that's a great idea. Hang on, and he pulls this document Here out it is. and makes me read it and i was like holy crap uh and he's like well you should do that and i'm like well i'll think about it we have this banter back and forth he goes okay well don't think about it too long you should apply it to tech stars i was like oh that new thing you're doing he goes yeah the new thing and then i'm leaving and, and he goes by the way the applications are closed in two weeks and i'm like okay no problem and he goes but you need a working prototype <laughs> and so i go I literally by the time i ride my bike home I email him, I'm like, know any CTOs or developers? <laughs> so I start working on it immediately. Anyway, we get into Techstars. So we were in the first class. David was my MD uh, and we rapidly evolved. And how, many, how many companies in the ten, first? 10 companies. So the first Techstars class was 10 companies. In, in Boulder, Boulder, Colorado, 2007, 10 companies. Yeah. And did you get investment? Yep. We, uh, at the time, what were the terms? Just oh, so so the, by the way, the Techstars terms at the time were either six or eight thousand dollars per founder. Per founder. There was no hundred k note. No. It was basically here's some money to like live live for a couple for a month or two, right, right or whatever. Just to pay rent and food. That's all. That's what it was. And they would get equity. Yeah. Yeah. The same six percent equity same deal. 6%. Right. But no hundred k convertible no. note. It was this, like a couple no. grand, right? And uh, I ultimately, you know, raised the first tranche of a seed round. The pre, I think the pre-money valuation for my company at that point, in that era, I think we were at like 2.8 million, right? I said, I think I said to David, I think we're going to raise like a half a million bucks, you know, at a three or three and a half pre. And he goes, well, wh why three? And I was like, you know, we had this quick conversation. And I said, why? If I, if I do it at a, at a lower price, are you in? And he goes, yeah, probably. I'm like, how's 2.8? He said, that's good. Okay, great. Done. <laughs> like Today, everyone's optimizing pricing, right? I was optimizing for investors. Isn't that the right thing to do? Yeah. Well, I wish more people under that under way. understood that, so right? <laughs> and and I, since I had already been around for five minutes, like I understood like binary outcomes, like power laws. Like I care about who's around the table. And if all the investors are thrilled and thinking they're getting a good deal, I'm actually better off. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and ultimately, when we went to sell the company, so we, we raised one tranche of capital. Uh, we had Flywheel Ventures in, True Ventures got involved. We had a bunch of great angels involved. 
Um, I never raised more than like one or 1.2 million for the company. Uh, and ultimately the real time web started happening. We got onto the Twitter fire hose. We added sentiment analysis, influencer rank, built our own algorithm to understand what it really meant if somebody was saying something about you or your brand or your keywords online. Uh, we built a collaboration tools so that people could assign responding to a tweet or a blog post comment to other people on their team. And then the doc and then the financial crisis hit. Yeah. There's only something, right? Right. <laughs> uh, our data was scaling super fast. There was, there was one time we tried to do database maintenance and we did the, uh, SQL row query count and like it never responded. We had so many rows, the system couldn't even tell us what was going on. So we needed more resources. We needed to scale the financial crisis hits. Now all the investors are pulling back. Social media is a new category. And I talked to tons of series A investors when I was like 70, 80 K in MRR. And I was like 20 K from cash flow break even. And in that market, they're like, no, everyone gave me the same story, which was if you were just at a million a year in revenue and cash flow break even, I would do that deal. And I'm like, by the time I open my data room, I will be there. And they're like, sorry, I can't get through it. Like they just wanted to take zero risk in that market. And the other issue that I finally understood later was that it was a new category. There were people that still thought that social media wasn't going to be a thing, right. that Twitter was going to fail, that Facebook was brand new and was just starting to launch their APIs. There was a lot of skepticism that the market, the ecosystem around social media was going to be venture return business. And nobody just said that to me. I got all the other stories, but nobody said, we don't have conviction. This is venture return business. They wouldn't really tell you the, the, yeah. the real conviction. I, fi I figured it out, right? We had a great product. We had loyal customers. We were growing. They just didn't believe in the space. Yeah. Essentially. Par and partly. Partly. And then I, I, then I also had the other platform problem, which this was it, in the late, this was like 2010, maybe or something that's like right. that, right? Yeah. Right. Whereas social media was still not exactly sort of it was obvious. New. Yeah. Then, then, then I had one other real problem which is that my destiny was tied to the API access from Twitter, from Facebook, from these blog aggregators. And so all of my data came from other sources. And if those deals went away or if the pricing got extreme, how could I add my value? Right. right. My, I had, I was, you know, no data in, no product. So what happened? Then? So, uh, while we're executing, growing the product, almost getting to cash flow break, even we start getting inbound acquisition interest because the market was growing. And ultimately we talked to a couple of, uh, a, a couple of different companies and, uh, got an acquisition from offer from Jive software. From Jive. Jive yeah. was a, uh, social collaboration platform that was growing really quickly. They were backed by Sequoia. They, they acquired us, uh, and th it, that happened in 2010. And Jive went public uh, right at the end of 2011, right around 2012. So I was then at Jive uh, running uh, business development and doing some product work in this you know, wild ramp up of them going from 20 to 100 million in revenue and going public. So essentially you got your second exit. Yeah, to some extent, right. right. Our first exit was not amazing. The second exit was a nice, a nice kicker on top of it. Right. Um, so yeah, you know, uh, everyone says cash is king, but in this case, uh, it, it worked out really well for us. So uh, you, you, you went through at least two crises, right? Uh, and, and, uh, I, I lived and maybe through, a few more. I lived through the dot-com era. Uh, oh, I lived through gosh. the 2008 financial crisis. I'm living through this one. That's right. right. You think this one is, well, we'll get to that. We'll get to the one uh, later, but right. in those two crises, what were the main things that you kind of learned? Yeah. Interesting question. 
I get that asked. I get asked that a lot now. Uh, num number one must be present to win. It's it's simple, but it's obvious. And I think a lot of companies, especially founders that have not operated through these cycles, yeah, which are the majority, think that think the music's never going to stop. Yeah, that their that their existing investors are never going to turn on them, right? Uh, and it's and don't understand that the very hand the very the very hand that gives you your giant up round could be the very same one that pulls the rug out from underneath you, yeah. right? Uh, and then when everything's going well, it's grow, 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 grow. And even your investors are grow, grow, grow. Post money, markup, good for my portfolio, good for you. Good for everybody. Right? It's really difficult in the growth market to, to not, not behave like that. To not behave like that, to, to be more conservative. But what, but what should founders do uh, I, you know, how should they manage at least their VC right. so that when the tough times come, that the VCs are there to back them instead of pulling the rug don't, from them? Don't, don't let anybody control your, your destiny and don't let somebody else who has their own motivations dictate how, how far over your skis you get as a business, right? Everyone... Explain how far over your skis. <laughs> explain how far over? No, I mean, what, what that, that means. Mean? What, what that means is if you, if you just closed a, a new large round and things are going well, the, the incentive structure is here's a big hiring plan, right? Here's a huge revenue target. Here's new product lines we're going to invest in. Right. Those are all great growth strategies, but all of those are going to increase your burn and increase the commitments uh, that, that that has. And how, what's, where's the ROI, right? If you raise a ton of money and you almost double your burn and you massively expand the company and then the market cools, that's, that's where you're over your skis, right? You're way out here. You've made all these investments. You've sold all this extra equity in the company, but your revenue is still back here. Right. And that gap, you have, there, there's only two things you can do. Accelerate revenue hard, if you can. hard, pull back on the, uh, on the commitments, Which is right? What you should do. Right. And that's, you know, an extreme version of that is what happened during the dot-com era Right. My, my wife was actually in HR at Tech TV. She went through this crazy hiring spree. They like hired like 120 people in like, I don't remember what it was, like a couple of months. The company massively expanded. She came home one day and she's like, I just fired 80 of the people that I literally just got done hiring. Yeah. Right. The whiplash was, was intense. So I think we're going through, not, not as an extreme version of that. But not yet. But, but, but. <laughs> If you just raised a bunch of money or you think you're going to go raise a bunch of money and everyone's telling you grow, 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 you got to do it in a responsible way where if you start to see you know, your close rates slow down, your, your margins go down. You have to react. You've got to react quickly, yeah. right? The problem is that a lot, a lot of, the, of the founders or managers have not seen the cycle. And, and so they tend to ignore those signals sure. and think, no, we'll just keep on because they assume there's going to be another round. And maybe there won't be another one, particularly if you're dependent on one VC uh, and you haven't sort of built up relationships with your board and with your other sort of backers. Right. right. If you have one major investor in this market, they might say, you know, we own enough right now. We'd like someone else to price the company. We'll, we'll follow on, but go get a lead. Yes. And, then and then it creates really weird signals. Now your inside investor that could easily do the next round is telling you to go get a new lead. Yeah. Right. So that so that's hard. So. You know, don't let other people control your destiny. And although you should plan for success, 
be be prepared for the worst, right? All, always have enough runway. Uh, that's the other piece of advice is like, if you're in a strong position right now and you don't have two years of runway, go get more runway while you can, yeah. right? Do a safe, extend your last round. Don't get greedy on ownership. Like you come back to Ari's rule number one, must be present to win. If you can survive whatever this weird market that we're in and build a great culture, build solid customers and, and improve your operation, when we come through the other side of this market, you'll be, fine. You'll be in a really yeah. strong position. I think right? if you have customers and if people really like the yeah. product and, you, and they're you know, paying for right. it, right? The, the, uh, the worst thing now is if you end up in a situation where the company does a cram down round, everyone gets diluted, the pressure on the company to perform is super high, the customers go away, the morale drops. Yeah. Like people that, get, get out, do, do something that, else. Even if that company doesn't actually die, it's, it's a, a zombie. Yeah, the but cult. I interrupted your story. So you were in, no, no, uh, after fine. after your, your so, second right, sort so, of exit. So let's just so so that was what really so after I exited uh, Filterbox to Jive and Jive went public, uh, I actually joined TechStars as as the first network catalyst, like bringing the individual accelerator nodes together and trying to create more connective tissue amongst all the founders from all of the accelerators. Techstars was still small, right? This is what, 12, 12? Yeah, it was 2012. I 12. don't remember exactly how many programs we had, but it was probably going from like five to 10 or, right. five, or so, some, somewhere in the 10 to 12 range, you know, in that era. It was before we went through this massive expansion cycle. Yeah. Uh, and then I also was helping David deploy capital from his first fund. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and so we were doing 50k checks in Techstars alumni and other companies around the ecosystem. Uh, and then we started to get more serious around raising larger pools of capital. And then I became a partner uh, in the Techstars 2014 fund. Um, I was How does this change from being a founder into a VC? Did you like it? What is, was it surprising? It was, Did you learn anything? It was, it was interesting and it was challenging, but my, like my, my brain is wired for it. I'm like generally, I'm into technology. I like learning new things constantly. I'm addicted to ideas. I'm fascinated by other people's businesses and I love the entrepreneurial journey. Uh, and so the opportunity to just be around lots of other smart people solving hard problems in big markets is a huge turn on for me. Uh, and you know, if I can help them avoid some landmines, if I can help them go a little faster, then it's super rewarding for me. Right. 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 And so how um, did that go? You know? Yeah. So it's ultimately been very rewarding. Um, and, and a lot of, you know, I've learned a lot. Uh, I've made a ton of mistakes. <laughs> As we all do. Right. Uh, been completely wrong on people, been completely wrong on investment thesis, wrong on markets, you know, certainly learned along the way. Uh, but I stayed at Techstars uh, until 2018. We raised another $150 million fund. And, uh, and then I left. Uh, and after doing some traveling, came to Lisbon for a yes, while, yes. uh, and spending a little time with my family, we, I started uh, Massive with my partner, David. Tell and, me about Massive. And so Ma Massive uh, is really a venture platform that's built in the vision that David and I had as founders. When we were running businesses, we sort of had wished that the venture market and venture firms operated in the way that we've created Massive. Mm -hmm. So deep, deep amount of empathy. Uh, for the entrepreneurial experience, mm -hmm. acceptance that the path to success is not linear, nope. it's a squiggly line, uh, and that there's multiple inflection points to invest in a company. 
And so I'm using my experience from Techstars and elsewhere to be very deliberate about when we get onto a cap table, if we can. So we care a lot about long-term relationships, about being authentically helpful and being empathetic. And then we sort of wait for the right moment where it makes sense for us to invest. And so we're not a traditional fund. We have a network of uh, almost 60 now LPs that we call members, and we give everyone the opportunity to pick which of our deals they want to be in. So uh, lots of choice, but almost all the capital is coming from other founders and operators themselves uh, that have domain expertise and maybe they're angels, but they're not great at it, or they don't have the time to vet deals, or they want to be part of a group of people that are doing a lot of deep thinking and actually leaning in. In this market now, there's tons of passive capital. There's deal lists, there's WhatsApp groups, there's angel list syndicates, there's tons and tons of passive capital. We are, we are an active capital group of investors that operate with the discipline of a venture fund, but right. with the flexibility of syndicates. Is uh, it messy to run in the, in the sense like, is it difficult it's, operationally? Th there's definitely extra overhead. Right. Uh, but we're, we're happy, you know, as of today, like ask me in a year, right? <laughs> Two years. Uh, we're happy to take on the additional overhead because of how rewarding it has been. Right. Um, and because of the flexibility. We get to invest in late stage pre-IPO right. world-class companies. We get to invest in, invest in earlier companies. Uh, every deal stands on its own. So I, lo I look at the multiple and the risk. And you decide. And I decide. Right. I'm not focused on ownership. It doesn't have to fit into a box. It's more of, of, an, of, a, of a multiple right. versus risk game. Right. right. The winners don't need to make up for the losers. Right. And I don't need to run traditional portfolio construction math. Primary deal, reserve deal, follow on, right? right all, all like we just look at each thing on its own. So, what's your what's yeah. your range of ticket sizes? I, I understand that the, the right. it's very F uh, wide. Ticket sizes are five hundred k to a million plus, depending on the stage and the and the appetite. But you can invest across multiple uh, stages, right? Yeah. But between half a million and a million and a half. And yeah. what is the minimum in terms of like what do you want to see in a company? Yeah. In terms of metrics and characteristics to 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 put in some capital. Our our it's a, uh, our initial entry point. Let's use a SaaS company. Yeah. Right. Easy, easy metrics. Easier. Right. Uh, for a SaaS company, we want to see a million a year in revenue. I want to see some type of repeatable and understood sales motion, and some validation that we have like early product market fit or that customers have have accepted pricing. Right. When the company's like has just throughout its pricing model, has a couple of deals in the pipeline, you know, two deals closed. It's not, it's not yet the beginning signs of it being repeatable. And so the way I, the way I think about investing on the early side is like how many, it, it, I use this sort of like methodology of how many vectors of risk am I taking at once? And, and, and where are we comfortable? So I can take market risk. Like we don't know if the market wants the product. I can take team risk. Hey, the team's only been working together for a little while. Right. Right. And I can take product risk, which is it's not in the market yet. Can I take all three? No. No. Right. Not for us. So we're, we're willing to wait until one, of the, one or two of these vectors of risk are decreased or at least better understood. So it's very different than pre-seed investing, two people in an idea, or even seed investing where you can look at 12 months of execution and say, hey, the team's on a great trajectory. Let's put some capital in. Mm -hmm. It could be big. We wait to, to understand which of these vectors of risk have been somewhat mitigated. Right. And then we'll we can invest all the way through the life cycle of the company using separate SPVs. And we do you know, some pre-IPO investing too. So, cool, cool. 
Look, it's great to see you here again yeah. in Lisbon. Why do you keep coming to Lisbon? What's the what's the idea behind Portugal? Well, I mean, it, Lisbon's terrible. You wouldn't like it here. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> bad food. Bad food, bad people, bad weather. Do not come to Lisbon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what I have to tell everyone, right? Exactly. Uh, I, I, I'm an ex-San Franciscan. I think there's something about the water and the hills that is like just in my heart. Right. Um, but I also love... Uh, the energy and the, the like, the vibe here is great. It's like anything's possible, and it's an up and coming market. And you know, I left the Bay Area to go to Boulder, and we built an amazing startup community from nothing. And I see what's happening here in the startup community, and I see how much how many resources this market has, and like how much this place part this part of the world has to offer in general. And it's just a really exciting sort of mix of things happening all at once. Cool, cool. Well, it's good to have you here yeah. at Indico. Always good to see you in Lisbon. Thank you. Thanks for having me in the red chair. Thank you. Pleasure yeah. to have you. Mm -hmm.